Well, we have a nice little sound coming from uh, the roof up there, and it kind of reminds you of uh, air conditioner on in November. Anyway, this third commandment um, deals with misuse of the Lord's name. Names are meant to mean something, and uh, they always have in the past. I'm not so sure if they always do today. Maybe, and hopefully they do. Sometimes we forget about it. But they they have significance. And uh, for example, my name is actually derived from Dionysius. My name's Dennis Dionysius. That's a Greek name. It comes from a Greek god. (laughs) And of all things, most of you know, I've said this before, the Greek god happens to be the god of wine. Now, of all gods to be named after... But my parents uh, named me because that was that was a popular name at the time, and and it was a, it's a good name. But at the same time, uh, uh, one who is a total teetotaler <laughs> is named after this god. I don't think uh, it really fits me personally, but <laughs> or my personality, I hope not. But um, we we look at this and and we see all throughout the Bible, names really mean something. God has names for different people for a reason, and He has a name for Himself. Not by any kind of mistake whatsoever. Now, Alistair Begg tells of a story of a lawyer that uh, his name, or his last name was Odd. That was his name. I'm not just saying his last name was just an odd-sounding name. That was his name, Odd. Okay, you can imagine going around in life, everywhere you go, and somebody asks what your name is, and then you say the last name, Odd. And I'm sure people have got all sorts of things coming through there. But anyway, you can imagine going through school and they called him such names as Oddball. You know, you can continue on with all the names that could go with Odd. But he suffered this throughout life. And he said, you know, on my tombstone, I am not going to put my name on there because I've been suffering. And at least in my death, I can remain at peace. And so he did. He instructed that his name not be odd there. He said, I want you to put this on my stone. Here lies an honest lawyer. He was a lawyer, but you'll notice the phrase that he had there. Here lies an honest lawyer. Well, people would walk by in the graveyard, and of course they would see that gravestone on there, and they'd go, oh look, here lies an honest lawyer. That's odd. <laughs> Alistair Big can tell it better than I can with that Scottish accent. But I got some laughs. That's pretty good. That's better than normal. <laughs> that's, that's it for the day. I, I don't do anymore. You guys are kind. But, you know, nevertheless, names are significant, aren't they? They are important. God's name is of utmost importance. Very important. On top of that, He allowed His name to be known. He didn't have to do that. He allowed it to be known, and not only that, He allowed it to be spoken. You know, we've been singing and praying all morning, and now we've been reading the Word here, and everything's centered around the Word of God. We know that. And it's really centered around who the person of God is. We've been saying God and Lord and all sorts of different names for God, and all of those sum up you know, who He is, His attributes and such. But He allows us to say Lord, to say God, to know Him. And on top of that, He allows His name to be 
maligned, misused by sinful creatures. He allows his name to do that. Now, he will, as it says in verse 7, will not hold people guiltless for taking his name in vain. But as we know, the law, as far as I know, doesn't put anybody into jail for saying God's name in vain. As some of, maybe some of the other commandments they would, but this one they don't. But this is of utmost importance in that it's about who He is. In the prophetic book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, he mentions something about His name here. Israel had profaned His name. And he says in verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says Yahweh God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. I do it for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, or Jehovah, or Yahweh, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. So His holy name's sake is the reason He's going to do what He's going to do. Not for them. It is for them, but it's really about who He is. And that's why He has to do that. He's made promises. So let's go in to that text. Now, I don't know. I think that took about four minutes for an introduction. That's a little bit less than I have been doing. Right? (laughs) My last time I did an introduction, I think it took much longer, so I'm going to try to whittle it down. But if I don't get into it here real quick, I'm going to mess that all up too. Okay, ready? The prohibition. The prohibition is don't take my name in vain. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So the prohibition is don't do this. To misuse His name will do what? Bring on guilt. He says it in the same verse. It's all in the same verse. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. I think that is something to look at. I think that's serious. This may seem very simple. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. We've heard that all of our lives. And we as Christians do not do that in the sense of cursing, using the name wrongly in that sense, but what we're going to do is look at it and see how far-reaching and broad it is and we'll see that we all break this commandment. We break it a lot without even knowing it. It's one of the most broken of all the commands. And when we look into the depth of this, we are going to have our toes stepped on today. But hopefully it won't be by me, but it will be by God's Word and His Spirit. Even among Christians, we can trivialize this. Okay, let's take the first word that comes up. Well, you, as he points to us, shall not take. What's the idea of take here? Oh, for one thought is whenever you see a couple being married, the woman, usually down through the years, 
takes the name of the man, right? Takes the name. Of course, now we have men with men and women with women and how, how that takes God's name in vain. But really, the women take the name of the man. They take that name. What's the idea? Well, it means to wear that name, to identify with it, to appropriate it. It's like putting on clothes. We take the name of God. When we become Christians, we're now, in a sense, married to Him, aren't we? We have taken His name. We identify with Him. We are called Christians. In the early days, in the, uh, the church was known... Um, or people were known as Christians or little Christs. Now, we are not Christ. We are not God. But we follow His example. We follow that, that way. And so we take that name. To carry His name. Don't take, don't use it, don't appropriate it wrongly, as He's saying in a negative sense. Now the word vain. Don't take the name, and we're going to get into name in, in the moment. That will be what most of the message is about. But the idea of vain. It is empty. It is meaningless. Without purpose, there's nothing there. It's useless. That's the idea of vanity. Ecclesiastes, the writer there said, Vanity of all vanities. Empty, empty is life without Christ. So this is to take His name and make no purpose to it. It has no value. It's meaningless in the way that it's said. When people use that name and it's not saying something about His... It's not giving God glory. That's probably the easiest way to say one is taking God's name in vain if it's not done for His, his glory. It empties the name. It's saying something using God's name, but it's not about His character. It tears down his character in front of people. It's meaningless to use it in that way. Now, hang on to this, because we're going to be saying this quite a bit. If we're not speaking to him, or about him, speaking to others, or in worship, if we're not speaking to him or about him, we take the Lord's name in vain. If that word, if that name, if the whole idea of who God is, if it's not to him or about him, it's, it's in vanity, as uh, Phil Johnson uh, related in his uh, study on this commandment. We sometimes might say, the Lord bless you. Is there anything wrong with that? No, that's a good thing. We want God to bless others, don't we? But how often can we say that word, the Lord bless you, and not really mean it? Is that possible? Lord bless you. you know, Lord bless you. God bless you. And not really be meaning it. Um, we don't think about things like that. How about at the end of a prayer? In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Is that bad? No. Matter of fact, it's, it's saying whatever lines up with who Christ is. What is consistent with Christ's name, God, I am asking this in the authority of Jesus. It's because of Jesus I can ask this prayer because it is something that He would want. If it's not something that He would want, then we don't want it, do we? So in Jesus' name, when we say that, we want to be very careful. A lot of times we just tack it on at the end of a prayer like a little mantra or something, you know, and wow, that will make everything okay because we say in Jesus' name. It's, it's repetition in it. So that's a wrong use of God's name if we're not thinking about it and, and what it means. Now we're getting a little bit closer here, aren't we? 
Now we have to go into this name. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now the name here, he says, Lord and God, and these are the Lord, capital letters, L-O-R-D. We've said this many times throughout Exodus. We've already seen that, haven't we? But we just don't want to just skip over that. Uh, It's Jehovah in the English, or it's Yahweh. Now there are sacred name cults out there that say you have the only way you can say God's name is for instance Jehovah and the Jehovah's Witnesses say that and they say that's the only name you can say for God well for one thing it's wrong because that's in the English and it was never pronounced that way in the Hebrew and, and we'll get into that even the pronunciation of that by the Hebrews but um, and then you have the sacred name institutions out there the cults that are Yahweh Yahweh churches and you have to say Yahweh and that's the only name you can say we don't even know for sure if that's even how you pronounce it. But we know it was Y-H-W-H, the tetragrammaton in the Hebrew, four letters. We insert the vowels in there. How did they really say it? What does it mean though? It's self-sufficient, self-existent, it's sovereign, self-fulfilled. God doesn't need anything, doesn't need anyone. He is totally self-fulfilled. Now that's incredible when you think about that. You know, I even wonder early on if God even wanted His name pronounced until they would know who He was uh, with, with no vowels there. You know, He is the I Am, right? Uh, he's everything. I think He wanted them to learn how holy His name was. And we've been seeing that all throughout the book of Exodus. He's been showing more and more of his character. And when he gets them out into the wilderness, he starts showing the holiness of him. And now he presents the Ten Commandments, the law, and now he is showing his holiness in a way they had never known. They knew about these laws. But when it gets down to really what they're really saying and and who they're about... Now it's bringing out something that they had never thought. Matter of fact, the Jews never wanted to say the name because it was so holy. That in itself doesn't necessarily make it holy just because they're going to be religious in not saying it. But the name is super significant. I don't know. There, there's a word that's used in um, today's vernacular that they. Zach, do you know what that word is? That, that makes something even more than what it is. They use it in the computer techno language. Uber. Uber. How many, how many people have heard of Uber? There we go. See, it's going to be the young people out there. They're going to know that. It's Uber significant. Now, I'm, I'm in time now, aren't I? Thanks, Zach. I know you told me that once before. I asked, what is Uber? <laughs> I'm always asking. Sometimes on, on the Facebook or something, I'll ask the girls back there. Brittany and, and Ashley, what does that mean? What is it? <laughs> they write back, okay, thanks. I know I can, I can get an answer there. Um, the priest. Remember once a year they would go into the Holy of Holies? We know about that. Well, this is something I, I didn't know, but that was the one time that they could say Yahweh's name. It was the priest who did it. It was the high priest at that. And it was once a year in the Day of Atonement that he would say that name Yahweh. Or however how it was pronounced. I hope we're pretty close. But the idea, And God's not going to get us because we don't pronounce His name right. But it's a precious, holy name. Now we'll go back to Exodus 3. How many times have we done that since we've done this study? But uh, This is where God 
met Moses at the burning bush and in just to cut it down we'll, we'll take it at verse 14 and God that's Elohim said to Moses because Moses asking well okay who who shall I say who sent me you know, what am I going to do what am I going to say and he said I am who I am I am to be that's that's what it is to be he is the to be the I am always there I am has sent you I am quite a thought the one who always is not just was or will be but he is in this passage we've seen that he revealed that to be that he's self-sufficient Moses saying oh you're self-existent you're self-fulfilled you're sovereign you are everything you have no need of anything he's perfectly happy the way he is no one he doesn't need anything go to Exodus 33 just a few chapters ahead and there we get Moses asking God if he could maybe see a little glimpse of his glory have you guys ever wanted to see God's glory every time we open his word and we see him for who he is we see a glimpse of his glory Moses wanted to see something he said in verse 18 please show me your glory I beg of you please show me I want to see we want to know God isn't that what life is about then he said this is God speaking he speaks to a man I will make all my look at this goodness pass before you and what is he going to do are you ready for this line I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you Here's what I'm going to do. All my goodness is going to pass through and I'm going to proclaim my name. I'm going to say and proclaim my name. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God gives grace to whom He wants and compassion and mercy to whom He wants. He selects to do that. That's how big our great big God is. Then we can drop on down to okay in in uh, verse twenty through twenty three he's just saying uh, I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock and my glory is going to go by and you're going to see the backside of, of my glory. Then we go down into chapter thirty four starting at verse five. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Wow. And what did he do? He proclaimed the name of the Lord. Yahweh. He proclaimed it. God proclaimed it. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Look at this. Look at this. What did he proclaim? The Lord. And what did he do? He said it again. The Lord. We have it two times there. And then he said, he actually said, the Lord, the Lord God, or Yahweh. 
merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. He appears to Moses, he speaks to Moses, proclaims the name of the Lord, and you'll notice as he's proclaiming, he's talking about his mercy and his grace and his long-suffering and his goodness and his truth. That is his name. The very being of God was being proclaimed as he saw this happen. I think this is incredible. Moses makes a request to see God's glory. The Lord tells him, I'm going to proclaim my name. And his name is going to be known. Not only would he hear it, but the name is going to be known. Yahweh, Yahweh. And that explains what he is like in the following verses. He revealed his very character. That must have been mind-blowing for Moses. His name expresses his power, his character, his very nature, his control, his influence. Go to Psalm verse 20, verse 7. You know this one. Some trust in chariots and some trust in the horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. In the name of the Lord our God. That means His mercy and His grace and His truth and His goodness, His compassionness. Oh, it's incredible what He does and who He is. Psalm 20 verse 7 says that. How about John 8.58? Before Abraham was, I am. And then in John 17.6 where He says the great prayer for the apostles and then for all of us here today even, all of His chosen. He says in verse 6, I have manifested Your name. This is Jesus, the Son, speaking to the Father, saying, I have manifested Your name to the men whom You have given Me out of the world. They were Yours. You gave them to Me and they have kept Your word. Boy, this talks about the sovereignty of God and the men that He gives His Son, those ones He will keep. And that's what Jesus is praying for. He's praying for His glory, but then those ones that the Father gave to Him, that they too would be glorified in the end. And uh, they would have this name that they would be taking and then proclaiming themselves. And then in Isaiah chapter 43, we go back to the Old Testament on our way back to Exodus, but we'll stop in Isaiah on the way back. In uh, chapter 43, verse 10, I think, you know what I did there? I put 45, and that is correct in that you're right, it's there, but I'm going to take you to 43. Because somebody did a typo area there. You, you never believe who made that error. Me. <laughs> you are my witnesses, says the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me. Oh man, do you see a sovereign God there? And understand that I am 
There's that I am. He, before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. There's no other gods. I, even I, am the Lord, Yahweh. Besides me there is no Savior. So, Jesus Christ proclaimed to be a Savior. What does that make Jesus Christ? God. He is Yahweh. The Holy Spirit is Yahweh. There are three. They are distinct, but they're in unity. And they're all three persons. There are three persons, but we have one God. And that God, that Yahweh here, is Savior. He is Savior. The way that He manifested Himself to us is through the person of Jesus Christ. I have declared and saved. I have proclaimed. And there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Now that is quite an establishment right there in Isaiah, isn't it? For all those cults and all cults do not believe in the deity of Christ. They do not believe that He is God. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and oh, they believe in a lot of gods. And of course, you can go into the, the, the Eastern religions with the millions and millions of gods and the pluralism that we have today. All sorts of gods. And that's why God says His, there's only one God. There's only been one God. And hereafter, there will be one God. It's always been me. It is me. I am. And boy, this, this chapter right here is fantastic to approach one who doesn't believe in the deity of Christ and who God is and all the pluralists here it says there's only one God it's only me he says there's no other Savior so there are many names of God Uh, it's not just uh, God it's not just Elohim as we see him in chapter 1 but it's also Yahweh and then built off of Yahweh we see him revealing himself very distinct and we've talked about this quite a few times El Elyon the God Most High Yahweh Yaira Jaira as he uh, dealt with Abraham and and Isaac, the Lord will provide. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient, powerful one. Yahweh Tzedkenu, that's the Lord, our righteousness. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is our banner. The Lord is our victory. So God's name can be defined as such. Are you ready for this? Okay. Taping all that together. It's not just a word. It's that which He is called. He's called by that name. And that which He has made known to us. It's the second part. And there's another one. And that which is His nature, His works, His word, His sovereignty, His power, His holiness, His love. We said a lot of this earlier when we um, did the catechism on the third commandment where it defined what that is. That kind of gets that name down a little bit to get something that we can handle. So His name is much more than just a spoken word, but it takes in His very nature and works. His word, sacraments, His sovereignty, power, and holiness. So His name, if you want to make it shorter than that and say, what? I can't remember all that. Well, we'll get this. If you can say, well, what is His name? I'll make it real simple. You ready for this? His name is all that He is. Everything about Him. That's the name of God. That takes in all of His attributes. All that, all those different names that He has to help us know who He is. His name is the 
summary of all that he is. Adam Ola, that's his name. We're just learning his name, aren't we? Did you know that when we get into heaven according to Revelation, we get in that eternal state, he will give us a new name. Like that thought? You're going to have a new name. Something that's going to have even more meaning than what you have now. Because you're going to take his name in, in a way that's to its fullest. We're just learning. So we must know this significance or breaking the commands will make any difference. We have to understand His name so when we are confronted with daily life, as daily living happens every day, we can draw from who He is. He's the self-sufficient one. We can draw from Him. He is everything. So when we become a Christian, we take His name and that's a good thing as long as we act according to who Christ is. Now, B here, that one is how the prohibition is broken. We've seen the prohibition. How is it broken? I'm borrowing a little bit here from Phil Johnson. I, um, the way that he did it here, I thought, really helped break it down. For one thing, it's without any reference to God at all. And this is what we're familiar with so much. When we hear people take God's name in vain, they don't really say anything that's dealing with the character of God at all, but they're saying His name. They'll say God and all sorts of expletives along with that, but they'll use that word as an expletive and they'll ask God to damn things. I I, I put that out there being careful because I don't want to to be um, using something here that would be uh, empty and vain but that's really what they're doing and it's not glorifying God in any way it has no reference to him matter of fact you'll see atheists say this word of all things and they're using his name in vain and then they say they don't believe in God that's just a testifying that they do believe in a God they're just putting him behind and acting like they don't believe there's a God why do they use that name? But it can be profane. It can be vile language. And this should be very offensive to us when we hear that kind of terminology. We should ask ourselves questions. Can I sit in a theater or before a DVD and let them abuse the name of my God? Can I do that and really justify what's going on here how uncomfortable it is for us as Christians to be around a crowd of people and they're just taking God's name all over the place first of all if you're offended you should be offended because it's about God you know our father and but the thing is chances are they're probably lost they don't know God So it might be an opportunity to maybe use that as a jumping off point to help them know that the name they just used, I want you to know a little bit about it. This is amazing that you're using that. Have you ever thought about what that means? It's interesting. I don't think they even know most of the time even what they're saying. It's so inbred in them. That's part of their lives. So just these terrible words come out of their mouths. It's a stench sometimes. It's almost like a stench, isn't it? When you hear certain words, but they're lost, they need to know God, they're blaspheming Him. 
it's easy for us to recognize. You know, we think of the cursing. It's highly offensive. And that's one thing that we think of when we, we look at this text. I know. But it, it's much more than that. Then there's swearing, taking oaths, saying something, say, um, that we are making a statement and to make it even more believable, we put the name of God in it, so help me God. Now, in court, that, that can be a good thing because you're saying, hey, I'm, I want to tell the truth and if I don't tell the truth, you know, by God, you know, that, that uh, I need to be punished. <laughs> you know, the, the oath is something that is uh, a good thing in that kind of setting. But try to strengthen what we have by making, maybe our character is not so believable, so we'll put it up there and throw it out and use God's name in an empty way. Now, they're trying to affirm what they say, but it's actually a lie. <laughs> That's, what is that doing? Well, it's taking God's name in vain. How about trivializing God's name? And this is where I think um, many, um, even in the Christian realm, can do this. We have to address ourselves to identify with the name of Christ. There's some language that seems innocent, but some need to examine to see what it is they're saying. Any wrong abuse of God's name, if it's not about Him, or if it's not to Him, then it's worthless. For example, a lot of you might be familiar with OMG. Now, that's the single most common abbreviation in text messaging today. OMG. Some of you are saying, what does that mean? Well, it may not seem serious, but if we take this text that we're dealing with here today, it's trivializing the very name of God. It's just thrown out. It's like, oh my gosh. Something like that. They say, oh Dennis, you're getting really awful legalistic here. But if we really are taking God seriously, what does this mean to take His name in vain? Are, are we using it in an empty way, just throwing it out there? So that's one thing. Without any kind of reference to God, but using His name. The second one is this. Without reverence to God. Now this is where it's going to sting all of us Christians. This means using God's name, but not bringing a reverence in, not bringing His holiness in on it. John Calvin said this, We should be zealous and careful to honor His name with godly reverence. Therefore, we ought to be so disposed in mind and speech that we neither think nor say anything concerning God and His mysteries without reverence and with much soberness, that in estimating His works we conceive nothing but what is honorable to Him. So any thoughts, any things we say, when we use His name, it should be about His honor. Hypocrisy is involved here. We can pretend to be holy but not be holy. Now we're getting down to uh, a little bit more of the definition of this. Where does this come in for Christians? Well, sometimes we are hypocrites. And that means we put on the mask. We try to look more holy than what we really are. We know sometimes we put that act on. 
But that takes His name in vain. When we're trying to act holy and we don't even feel like it at all, matter of fact, we're not. We haven't been and now we, we, started, we haven't confessed to the Lord our sin. Sometimes when we sing, we really don't mean it. We don't, we're talking about attributes of God and who He is and we're singing praise and trying to bring honor to Him and we might be thinking about something else. What are we going to be doing later on today or tomorrow? I don't necessarily like this style of song. I don't like the, I don't like the way this is written or I don't like the music to it. Uh, maybe we're thinking the music is too loud or it's, it's too soft or somebody's off key. <laughs> Or, or somebody might hear me. <laughs> and you guys know that singing is very important. Uh, it's a part of worship. It's not the single most important element in worship because the Word of God being proclaimed is. But hopefully the Word of God is found in the music and in the singing. And in here we try to, we try to please God and we try to please... Uh, everybody here and, and trying to do a lot of different kinds of music and I know that's not going to please everybody but um, churches split over these kind of things and it's the craziest thing because if it's honoring to Him um, that's a, what uh, is most important so if we don't take the music and the singing we are taking His name in vain another one when we pray maybe our heart just isn't into it Maybe we're thinking about other things. Maybe there's something that seems more important. Maybe we don't even know that we've taken our our thinking off of the prayer. And I want to tell you, we just hit each other right in the nose on every one of these. Because not always do we have 100% of our attention on when we are speaking to God or letting Him speak to us. Have you noticed that? How often do you go in prayer... And all of a sudden, you start thinking about something else and you've totally lost that prayer and you're somewhere else. <laughs> We're going to make everybody feel bad here today. Because it hits in every area of our lives. That's what I'm saying. We break His commands constantly. And don't even know it. Without even thinking of it. That's vain. When we worship God, are we pouring everything of ourselves in to our worship because we're really not being seen by people but we're actually offering up ourselves to God anything else is vanity empty wow we can minister we can go out and minister in the name of God but if it's not for His glory what is it? it's vain we're using His name in vain oh my Dennis you've got to be kidding me We've broken the third commandment. We might say to someone, bless you. No, I mean it. We can be so insincere. We can be so careless. We can be so much in frivolity. Some words we've, we've all used. And these may seem very innocent and they're good words. But how many times, I'm not going to ask, have you done this? My question is, I turn it to me, how many times have I done this? Goodness. Oh, goodness. For goodness sake. Mercy, mercy. Good Lord. 
Lord of mercy. Now, are there anything wrong with those words? Lord of mercy, He is. Good Lord, well that's absolutely true. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Mercy me. (laughs) Goodness sakes, how many times have I said that? I'm not trying to be legalistic, but I'm thinking, what are those words? Those are attributes. We've just spoken that these attributes are the sum total of who God is. It's the sum total of His name. You mean if we use goodness sakes, and if it's not really to glorify God, it's just saying, hey, boy, I'm happy, I'm overjoyed, this is great, you know. And if it's not really bringing God into it, guess what? We just used His name in vain. Now I'll make some other ones that are real easy. Holy cow! Remember Harry Carey? Boy, I said that for years. Holy cow! Well, in in India, as far as the Hindus are concerned, that's a true statement. They have holy cows everywhere. You don't kill them. You starve yourself to death. (laughs) Holy cow! How about good heavens? Wow! Uh oh. Golly. Gosh. Gee whiz. Where did those really come from? They're substitutes for God. Hey, I know that you're saying, oh man, you're, you're aiming right at me. You must have heard me. No, I'm aiming at me. But we've all broken the third commandment. We have already been shown that uh, His attributes represent His name. Wow, that's a useless statement when we use those words. Not for His glory. Do you see where when we get into the depth of the Ten Commandments or when Jesus came onto the scene preaching the Sermon on the Mount, whenever He started bringing out like the things that the Pharisees thought they were doing so good at, like they were saying... Um, prayers all the time. People would see them say their prayers, or um, you know, they, they would just do things that look so religious and so holy. That was all in in vain, because he said, if you think a thought, if you think you look upon a woman and you think about it and you start desiring, you have just committed that sin. So he defined the law of God. We like to make it a little bit easier on ourselves. But if we really look at it, we see that, yeah, we, we are lawbreakers. God's name sometimes can be brought into jokes. Sometimes it can be very cheap and very irreverent. Some preachers will say a joke and, or they'll say something and they'll say, bless God, bless God, bless God, or glory to God, glory to God. Anything wrong with us? No. We should be blessing God. We should be wanting glory to be given to Him. But they do it like it's a rim shot after telling a joke. It's automatic. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. But is it really praise to God? So when should we use His name? When we're speaking what? To Him or about Him. We have no right to use His name in empty ways. And I know that um, you know, we, we all get 
kit with that. But, you know, I'm not going to go around following everybody in here to see if they say these words. Or I'm not going to try to catch you on something, right? <laughs> because I know I am guilty of using these words sometimes in this way. Now the thing is, I want to quit doing things that I know that's wrong. I am guilty and all of us are guilty here. We can take God's name in vain by thought and by word and by deed, even omission. When we haven't done some things in the name of God that we should have done. Do you see how broad this has gotten? We love God. But what have we done or what have we said throughout the week that we're, we might have taken God's name in vain? It goes so deep. Every one of us affected. We break the third commandment. And it's not that simple after all, is it? When we see the law for what it really is, you know what it is? It's a mirror to me. And I see myself there. I don't measure up to God's perfection. Oh, how I want to. But I'm looking at that and I'm saying, really, what have I done? I'm convicted and I have to look at Christ who is the law keeper. I look at Christ. He's the only one who has fulfilled the law. A law is a good thing. But it demands absolute perfection. And we can't do it. No man ever has. But the person of Christ. So we're covenant breakers. You remember the, the promise keepers? Uh, R.C. Sproul gets onto them a lot. But that was back in the 90s. And I used to play guitar with a local group and, and things. And there's, there were a lot of good things about it. But he said, we're not promise keepers. We are promise breakers. We break our promises that we're going to follow God in every way. But I'm not giving an excuse for our sin. We are new creations. And God is teaching us. We don't know it all. We've just hit the tip of the iceberg. We're just babies in Christ. We're learning to grow. We're learning more. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have worship. That's why you have your own personal reading and study time. And when we talk about God, we learn about Him. Know about what He is and what He's saying. Certain things that need to be corrected in our lives. Well, what's the positive thing on this? We know what we're not supposed to do. Well, we are to sanctify the Lord's name. Now, it's not necessarily in the text there, but it definitely is throughout Scripture. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Sacred be your name. Sanctified be your name. Holy is your name. We are to see His name or everything about God. Remember, that's what His name is. Everything about God is holy. That's the way we're to see it. Now, we know Christ. And that is how we can hallow His name. Because of the person of Christ, we can now do that. We are to exalt God's very name in our hearts. And we're to pray for what Jesus would pray for, what's consistent to His nature. The only time to use God's name is to glorify God and to edify others. That's when we use that sacred name. When this is our motive, 
We cannot go wrong to use His name. So don't go around stopping, saying, well, I'll never say His name ever again because it's too holy. Well, that's what the Jewish people did. But they didn't understand what was meant behind all that. Don't take it in vain. Well, they got to where they didn't say His name. So they they substituted, and rather using the capital letters L-O-R-D, they used capital L and a little O-R-D and... more like, that wasn't his necessarily his personal name, but it was a title of who he is. Jesus has a name, and, and he is Lord. Okay, we go on to the second part of this, and we're right near the end because I wanted to spend most of the time on defining what the name is. The end part of verse seven says, "For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain." I think that would behoove anybody to say, whoa, I know it says not to take his name in vain, but here it says, here's what goes along with this. If you do this, you are not going to be held guiltless. What does that that mean? Well, first of all, this commandment is different from uh, some of the other commandments. It is one that has a guilt on it. Has anybody here ever been guilty? Some of us, few of us. (laughs) <laughs> we know what guilt is, don't we? Guilt is a thing we carry that we don't want to have around. We want to get that cleared off, right? Thomas Boston, the Puritan, had a lot to write on the Ten Commandments. He said of this, I know of nothing on earth so much like a damned soul in hell than someone who curses and swears using God's name in vain. He says there's nothing that resembles hell more than when somebody uses his name in vain. Wow. I think this has to be a very serious sin. It's a hellish sin. Because if it were not for God's grace, we would continue on with our guilt. The guilt would build up and build up even more and more. And there is judgment God has to be serious here and He has to be judging because He is a just God. That's the bad news. That will have to be done. He promises that. It says in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Then eternal life to those who show their his. But he says you're building up, you're treasuring up wrath. Build upon each other. They never go away. We're talking about unbelievers' hearts unrepentant, impenitent hearts. So the sin that they have as they live out their lives, they're by nature already sinful. And then by their acts, they continue and continue on to build up on that. And it will take eternity to pay for all those sins. Chapter 3.23. Everybody knows 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. That's bad news. 
And there is good news, and, and that's how I'm going to close here because we can't end on that. We must show the rest of the news. What bothers me about this commandment, and I've already said it, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Knowing the depth of that, what bothers me is that I see myself in the mirror. And we too, all of us, have used God's name in a very light way. We may not have ever used any of those words in in that way. Most of us probably have. But I see myself in the mirror whenever my prayers have been not felt, um, maybe going through the motions, maybe superficial, a superficial prayer. My prayers have been selfish. Maybe when my prayers have been just unprofitable. How about our worship? It can be shallow. It can be flippant. Whether that be group worship or everyday living worship because that's what we do all the time. How flippant are we? But don't despair. There is hope. The sun's going to come out one of these days again like it did. And we got a week's worth of sun. Wasn't that beautiful? And that's a good illustration of saying there are dark days, but we know the sun is out there. It's always there. We just don't see it. And so we have the cloudy day to represent eh, some of the struggles that we go through. Don't despair. There is hope. There is a remedy. We know the remedy. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And when we focus on Him, when we focus on that cross, when we focus upon the very mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, what He's done for us, as we see our sin, we confess it. He's faithful to forgive. All the sin was actually done there at the cross, but we have an ongoing relationship with Him, desiring that 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 relationship be be honest. And so we realize that Christ is the only one. Christ did not break the commandments. I have. But I can go to Him and recognize that His righteousness was put upon me. My sin was put upon Him. So easy, so simple, so profound. So even all those ways that we've broken His commands, we recognize that the price has been paid. Paid in full if we've trusted in in Christ. The sin of breaking this third command has been paid. Grace, I proclaim grace to every one of us. Doesn't that make you feel good? It's what He did. We don't necessarily preach to make us feel good. But there also is the comfort there to come in and soothe the wounds. The balm, B-A-L-M, comes in and seals that up. And that's what He has done for us. He paid the debt we owe. It's all been paid for. The Savior has provided for us. And it's nice to know that what He has done. We can't do it. The law just tells us exactly, no matter how good we think we are, we can't do it. Let's pray.